Hello, and welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Hart, aka Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Building Sustainability consists of conversations with designers, builders, makers, dreamers, and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello, and welcome to episode 57 and 58 of the podcast. This episode is a long and wandering chat with Mr. Clay Dabbins himself. It's Alex Gibbons. Before that, though, we've got lots of news to get through. Uh, Regular listeners will remember Sarah Pugh from episode number 20, uh, talking about permaculture and community. Last year, uh, Sarah was diagnosed with a grade four brain cancer. And she's had all the treatments uh, available in this country but the uh, the so-called median survival time uh, for what she's got is devastatingly short, uh, with only 25% of patients surviving one year. Outside of the UK, uh, there are much more progressive treatments. Um, so Sarah's friends have organised a Just Giving page to raise 85 grand to get her that treatment that will hopefully give her a few more years with her son, Um, and be able to see him through his GCSEs. Sarah has given so much selflessly to the community, the permaculture community, to Bristol. So if anyone can give a little, then it would be greatly appreciated. I'm giving all of September's Patreon subscriptions to help, uh, and I'm definitely not alone there. So far, a total of around £63,000 has been raised. So if you can help to just push that last little bit over, that would be really, really great. I'm really sad to say that uh, Building Sustainability and the Tiny House community have lost one of their own. Dave Pyle, uh, who is Emma Pyle from episode 48's dad, uh, sadly passed away last week. Um, Emma and Dave built Emma's tiny house together last year during lockdown um, and Probably the thing that shone through uh, through all of Emma's Instagram was the, the gorgeous bond they had throughout the build. And there were so many smiles and laughs. And indeed, Emma ended her episode by thanking her dad. So to all the Pyle family, uh, especially Emma, from the Building Sustainability family, we're just sending you all the love in this difficult time. Um, uh, on to podcast news, there is... Just one Patreon uh, supporter to thank this week, uh, and that is Kay Pereira. Um, I'm assuming that's Kieran Pereira, who was a guest on episode 35, talking about the global sand crisis. So thank you so much to Kieran. That's so very appreciated. Um, And a little bit of what's going on here. Uh, The tiny house has windows and doors. Those are triple glazed. I have gone all out. Uh, The door is very heavy. And tomorrow uh, I am hoping to fit one of my big biophilic elements. I'm really pushing the the biophilia in the tiny house. And yeah, well, uh, let's see if it works. I'm slightly dubious. Uh, But if it does, then uh, it'll be on Instagram tomorrow. That is at Jeffrey the Natural Builder, if you don't already follow. Um, Okay, so on with this episode. Uh, It is with Alex Gibbons. It is really following on from Daniel Postma's episode last week, uh, looking at sustainability as informed by the heritage building conservation world. 
it was a massive two-hour chat. Uh, so I've split it up over two episodes. Uh, the end of this one will roll straight into the next. Uh, so stay tuned for more. Uh, one thing to note, uh, the fellowship, the SPAB Craft Fellowship, uh, deadline for applications is the 14th of September. Uh, we talk about that in this episode. Um, so make sure you get your applications in quickly. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Well, Alexander, the Mudman, <laughs> Gonzo Gibbons, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very <laughs> delighted to be here. Oh, good. We never do a little intro like that, but uh, I guess you get a special special intro. I'm special. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what you got for me then? What you got for me? Hit me with it. Do you know what? We're going to start with, and I don't normally ask this question, uh, but I've been uh, but getting a lot of questions recently from people that are saying, how do you get into natural building? How do you, some people that have just come out of university and they're like, I want to be a natural builder. Some people that have been doing like a, a career in construction, mainstream construction. And they're yeah. going like, how do I make the switch? So I think it is quite an interesting, you know, valuable thing to talk about. Um, and also, I know that your story involves me. So, yeah, <laughs> but what could be better? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Well, let's start. Let's start with you. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, why? Like, why did you even want to get into natural building? Um, right. Here we go. So, I, as you know, um, I started off in the building world. Um, from kind of a teenager, I was working for my dad a bit, who was a, um, well, he did up houses and kind of did everything that I wouldn't do now. Um, mm -hmm. Hi, dad, by the way, he'll tune into this. And, <laughs> but uh, no, he, uh, he, he, yeah, did lots of cement stuff and, um, you know, it was very much like 
quite buildery builder type thing. Lots of plasterboard, lots of knock it out, get it done type of thing, which is, mm-hmm. you know, the building trade. And at times being on site was fairly full on and, and not that wonderful when, you know, some an old boy is shouting at you or whatever. And um yeah, but so that's how I started off in this in this world. Um, and basically, when I was at school, I said to the person, uh, this thing called a careers advisor, which is a bizarre, utterly mm-hmm. bizarre job. Um, I really like working on buildings. Um, what shall I do? And they basically said to me, well, you've done well at A-level, so you should go and be a surveyor. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't possibly be a builder. <laughs> no, couldn't be a builder. <laughs> No, obviously not. You've you've just told them what yeah. your career is. Like, yes, I like. Doing I this really thing. like working on building sites. Right, you should go and not work on building sites then. Um, yeah. So yeah, so like many people of our generation, got funneled off to university for three years and went and did a kind of general practice surveying course. First class honours, no doubt, for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it uh, worth? Which, well, <laughs> it turns out it, it it costs actually quite a lot, and uh, obviously, you know, <laughs> the classic complaint of our generation got saddled with all this debt, which probably never get repaid or whatever. Um, so anyway, so that's that was that, and then I went and did that for a while, and utterly hated it. Didn't like being in that environment, you know, all the usual stuff about like. I mean, I knew I wanted to work on old buildings. I kind of managed to gear, gear my degree around old buildings in, in a way. Um, so when I came out, I w- went and worked for one surveyor and then went and worked for a historic building consultancy, uh, thinking like, oh, yeah, this would be great, like working for an historic building consultancy. I'll be able to do really great things to listed buildings and, you know, really help them. And... It very, very quickly dawned on me that the job of a um, historic building consultant is to not help historic buildings, but push things through for developers that they really shouldn't be doing. So anyway, so I was just like, ah, I can't deal with this. And I was in London and that didn't suit me. And I I just left and um, then had to figure out what the heck to do. Um, Mm. And... So I started having a Google and came across this thing, natural building. And literally, it sounds stupid, like having a Google. What a sad way to <laughs> kind of... But, you know, having kind of gained those experiences, I was really desperately kind of... I think I was on that stupid thing that was around for a while. The random... that You press the button and it, like... Brings up random websites. What was that called? That's long gone. Is that, Remember a thing? that thing? No. Yeah, it was. Oh gosh, I, it'll come to me anyway. I was on that thing, and it like popped up with um, what was that lad over West Wales with the um, oh Simon? Simon. Dale. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. popped up, and it's like this man's built a house for two hundred pounds. I was like, hmm, that's like pretty good, isn't it? And That's I know that I've got well. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If I saved up for a decade, I might have to. Uh, no, 
Um, so yeah, so I was like, right, yeah, that's that's really cool, and it looks like all curvy, and I didn't know that that was allowed in building. And yeah, I mean, albeit you know, perhaps now it wouldn't be my cup of tea. It was like, actually, this is really cool. So I started looking at that type of thing and then doing lots of reading and all of that. And yeah, was like, right, I want to do this. And sorry, I'm going on a bit already, aren't I? No, no, that's fine. That's You're here to talk. Okay. Well, yeah, that's true. It, okay. The way yes, this dynamic you. should work is you, you talk loads <laughs> and I go... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. Um, so. Really? <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So basically I looked at, looked at this thing and I was like, right, I want to do that. And I had no strings attached to whatever. And I started looking for natural building courses and it actually, I started to try and find a way to get into either heritage or natural building in the UK. And mm-hmm. it seemed fairly impossible at the time, although, what sort of era was this? Well, it was your your era. When was this? Like the ten, in the in the tens, maybe or in the early, very early tens, I'd say. Yeah, it must be like seven, eight, nine, something like that. Mm. You know, back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I was just kind of looking at it, and it became quite obvious that where it was all going on was the west coast of of the states and um and Canada. Mm-hmm. So I actually booked on to a course at the College of the Rockies in Canada. Was that was that Kimberley or somewhere like that? That was at Kimberley, yeah. Yes. So I booked on to just onto down it. the I, road from where I ended up. Yeah. Yeah, so this is the first bit of yeah. So <laughs> I'd booked on to that and literally 2 weeks before I was due to do it, I got an email saying we haven't got enough people to run the course. And I booked my flights and all of that out to Calgary, which is why I ended up knocking about there. Um, I was like, oh, right, gosh, well, I still want to do this. What else can I do? So I scrabbled around, and actually that's how I came upon Aprovecho and booked onto that course, and that that was actually one of the happiest accidents of of my career. Well, one of the many happy accidents of my career. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, so, yeah, got on to that course, which was cool. And so because I'd booked my flights to Calgary already, I cycled from Calgary. Well, I was supposed to cycle all the way to, to Oregon, but um, I had a bit too much of a good time when I got to Banff, <laughs> and that kind of went out the window. Uh, but I did. I cycled through the Rocky Mountains, which was great, and then got the train from Jasper, which you'll know very well mm, from your time I've out there. Out in Jasper, yeah. I've partied in Jasper. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, so got the train down from there, and landed up at Provecho, where the first person I met when I got there, I you know, I thought I'd turn up there and I'd be like Mister English, and oh, hello, silly me, oh yes, I'm just English, and the first person I met. Walked up to him, hairy, beardy, weirdy like me. Walked up to him, said, hello, my name's Alex, who are you? And this man stared back at me and just went, huh, you've got a funny voice. And, <laughs> of course, it was my good friend Jeffrey here. Hey. And we've been, we've been mates since. So, yeah, it was a very, um, very fortunate 
meeting, one which mm. has defined my, you know, life and career. So, you know, now Easy we're me. sat here together. Yes, yeah. Oh. Well, it has. We, you know, and we, so we did the course together and then we knocked about and had a good time and built lots of nice stuff and just kind of pushed it and made the most of it. And it was great, really, wasn't it? I've, I've, yeah, some of the, the most carefree fun times of my life. Yeah. So I've got a lot of dirt on this guy. <laughs> <laughs> the old bread club stories. <laughs> so, um, well, you've probably talked about that on this before, haven't you? Or should I, I don't think kind I of really explain have. it? No. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, you go Ma- for it. Should you want to explain it or should I? I'm here, to, uh, keen to hear your uh, your take. Okay, <laughs> my the version according to me. Um, yeah. So, well, we we started off doing a um, kind of two month uh, live build, I suppose, really um, yeah. building a, a cabin from the ground up. And the thing that really appealed, the reason that I chose the well chose the course the second time round, was. Um, the fact that it actually covered loads of different aspects. So we did kind of foundations, timber framing, um, what else? Straw bale, bit of cob, um, bit of earth plastering, line plastering, bit of dodgy roofing, bit of everything, you know? So it was, it was interesting. It was really great. And it was a really good kind of rounded view of how to build a house, which is what exactly what I wanted. Yeah. Um, and actually, I went out to Oregon. I put, you know this already. I went out there to be to become a timber framer. That's what I thought. This is I'm gonna. This is what I'm gonna do. Mm-hmm. And um, who care to share with the audience my uh, any nice memories of my timber framing skills? Mm. <laughs> I think you were just most upset that you had to use a, a tape measure. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and it was quite you know millimeter accurate. Yeah. Yeah, see, you've lost me. You've, mm-hmm. it's, what a turn off. I just, yeah, I, I mean, I just remember being like so upset that the thing that I'd come to do, I totally hated <laughs> and was really terrible at. And yeah, just watching it all kind of go, oh dear. So yeah, so that was the second week where I questioned everything <laughs> about it. <laughs> and uh, I mean, we had a great teacher. So we had a different teacher every week, as, as maybe you've mentioned before. Um, and we had Bill Sturm for Timber Framing, who was, you know, a great guy. He was a really good teacher. I was just really terrible at it. And there was no getting away from that. Um, so thank goodness, once week three or four rolled around, we did this thing, cob walling, which I had absolutely zero interest in at all. Um, good basics. I didn't know anything about it. And, um, we did it and I was like, by the end of the day, I was like, this is great. You don't need a tape measure. Um, all you need to do is, you know, be, I don't know, shift a load of mud about, which is like my, what what I'm kind of built for. Um, and yeah, I was like, it's very sculptural, it's malleable. I'm not like, it's not a resistant re- material by which I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm as good at kind of stone masonry as I am at timber framing. It's anything that, requires having bits chipped off it i'm utterly useless at because it doesn't behave itself but with mud it was all malleable and i could sculpt a wall whichever way you wanted and make it curvy or make it 
you know, plum or make it whatever you want. You can just choose to do what you want with it. And it kind of just felt really right straight away. It was, it was great. Um, and yeah, had a bit of, well, I had a major epiphany. You were there. I mean, it must have been humbling to watch, I'd imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember those morning meetings listening to yeah. oh, Mr. Gibbons' sermon on, on Cobb. Yeah, well, and that's never has that ended. So anyway, it just took me and I was like, yeah, this is great. And then we did plastering. And again, I, I thought, oh, yeah, I'll be good at plastering because I've had a, I've, I've had a go at this with the, with my dad type of thing. And, and uh, I was again started doing it and trying to make things square like I had back in the day. I don't remember. I was like on a window reveal. I was really like trying to make it square, and I, the person that's teaching us came up and was like, "I was like, having such a terrible time doing it because it was really stressful." Mm. And the person that's teaching us came up and said, "What? The, what on earth are you doing?" And <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I'm, try- I'm just I'm trying to make it square. It's got to be square." They're like, "What? No, it doesn't. Just curve it round." And I did it. I remember it so well using those Japanese trowel things, which were. I mean, now I don't, I don't use them. They're lovely, but I just, for some reason, got out of the habit of using them. But so kind of went went around this window reveal and made it curvy. And I just remember going like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, bloody hell, that's nice, isn't it? That looks great. And, um, yeah, then it, that all kind of clicked as well. And mixing up, the big thing for me is I get a big kick out of, like, choosing different mixtures for different applications. And it was all kind of like science-y, but nothing to do with being anal and tape measures and all that stuff. It was just, it was just nice. It was just good fun. And you can really manipulate materials to do what you want. And yeah, I loved it. So, um, yeah. So that's how I got into it. Next. (laughs) Because uh, I remember at some point you uh, sitting down. With oh, here we go. Going, You're going, going to sound like, rude to me. I'm not going to be rude. Why? Are you, <laughs> this isn't like an ex- expose. I feel like this is kind of your your Martin Bashir or something. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when you said this? <laughs> <laughs> I've got a quote here from 2012. <laughs> Uh, no, it was probably at Bread Club over a couple of mason jars of uh, of local ale. Uh, but I, you, at some point you went, oh, yeah, I've got this old Cobb house in, in France. Yeah. So had yeah. you not sort of made the connection with the Cobb? No. Like Oregon right. Cobb versus okay, Oregon yeah. Cobb. Thank you. for No, so thanks for this subplot because... Yeah, so at this stage, I had never been to... Well, I hadn't been to La Petite Fenetra since I was four, right? Okay. So my... Right, here we go. So my dad had bought this place in France, right? This is back a great in the story. 90s. Please tell yeah, us yeah. again. Yeah, I don't know how much it would be legal to actually tell. But anyway, so my dad bought this place over in Normandy in the 90s when Brits were going abroad and buying stuff for next to nothing. They were, like, giving it away. So it sounds really glamorous. Oh, yeah, I've got a little place out in Normandy. But actually, it, it wasn't glamorous. I mean, he bought a, an old barn, which, for, you know, peanuts, next to nothing. And he'd started to do it up as a holiday home. And 
ripped out quite a lot of nice old stuff out of it and put in chipboard floors and um, I don't know plasterboard and all the st- loads of polystyrene. You weren't there for that, were you? Taking no, I think you'd, you'd stripped it by the time I came out. Oh, it was awful. And so anyway, so he'd done that, and then a bit of argy bargy went on, and he'd like sold it to a mate on a bit of a dodgy deal, and then some of it blew down, and by which I mean fell down in a big storm, and. Uh-huh. This mate got back in touch with him and basically said, I can't get this thing into my name for a variety of reasons, which I probably won't go into on a, on a nationally heard podcast. <laughs> internationally, um, mate. Inter- oh, sorry, yeah, internationally, intergalactic podcast. <laughs> um, anyway, so my dad said to me, right, here's the crack. There's this house for next to nothing. Do you want to... Buy it back off this guy, basically. And I said, well, yeah, that sounds good, having never seen it. Yeah. And then I buggered off to Oregon, didn't really know anything about it. And I said, what's it made out of? And my dad said, oh, it's, I don't know, it's something old. It's something, there's a bit of, there's a bit of stone. I think it's, he it actually said, I think probably because I was, interested in straw bale building at the time and had mentioned that he said to me oh i think the top half straw bale or something you know this is uh, if jeffrey's met my dad and he's very much a kind of wheeler dealer you know tell you what you want to hear so if you've been talking about straw bale it, it was straw bale if i've been talking about concrete blocks you know and i thought they were the best thing since sliced bread he would have said it was concrete block you know so it's <laughs> it's um yeah so anyway so i uh, said yeah great let's let's do it so um and then like i say buggered off over to over to oregon which was nice kind of thinking right i'll go and learn how to do some practical stuff and come back and do it so i fell in love with cob while i was over there then i came back and went over there to look at this house and sure enough it's cob and normandy has the highest concentration of mud buildings in Western Europe. No doubt you'll get a load of people writing in telling me that's wrong. But as as I understand things, that it's got it's got tens of thousands of them anyway. Um and very much like like Devon actually. The landscape's very much like Devon as well. Um so yeah, that was a happy coincidence. So when I got back from the States, um we um so sorry, I should say before I get on to all of that that after the course, Jeffrey and I then stuck around for a while, and then you went off and did community rebuilds. Is that right? Yes, I went to Utah to build straw bale houses for low income families. Yeah. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. That's right, and I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. I stayed in Oregon building... Um, yeah, well, just kept building, really, and finishing stuff off and plastering stuff and 
you know, the thing about Aperveto is amazing, but there was so much that needed finishing off at all times. As you imagine, you've got all these different student groups coming through. That um, anyone that kind of said, I would like to stick around and help finish stuff off, they're <laughs> like, yeah, please, please stick around and finish stuff off. Um, so I kind of assisted with courses and helped finish stuff off, which was great, you know, really nice. And then they started going, oh, well, you could all right at this. Why don't you plaster the commercial kitchen, which was one of the things that, that I did while I was there. Um so yeah, so no, so that was great. Yeah, then I came back to Normandy, Cobb House, Jolly Hockey Sticks. What a nice time we're all having. <laughs> um, so yeah, the problem with it was it didn't really have a roof, and was very derelict, and was on kind of half an acre of very tall seven or eight foot brambles. So um, yeah, so I got to work and knocked down the brambles and ripped out all the polystyrene and plasterboard and chipboard and tried to get back to something original-ish. Um, and by the time I'd done all that and had quite a lot of people out there and fed them loads of local cider. Mm, um, Questionable percentage <laughs> local yeah, cider. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Honestly, if anyway, I mean, I know you shouldn't really. I know this isn't an advert for for getting on the booze this podcast, but um, bloody hell, it's good, isn't it? That normal cider. <laughs> yes. And to me, actually, it's interesting a- anywhere which has a tradition of of mud building in a big way seems to have a tradition of really good cider making and very heavy cider drinking. Um, and I can only assume that that's to take the edge off what is essentially an extremely painful profession. (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyway, so yeah. Um, so I ran out of money. That's, that's, that was the end of, of the Normandy story. Um, so I came back to the UK which is a bad place to come if you've run out of money elsewhere. Because if you've run out of money elsewhere, you're sure as heck going to have run out of money in the UK. <laughs> um, so I started, obviously I had, by this stage, I've had a bit of, um, well, a bit of standard building experience, a bit of surveying experience, a bit of, um, well, quite a bit of, you know, a few years into my natural building journey and then, done a bit of conservation stuff then as well, having worked in Normandy. Um, oh, the other great thing that I've got to talk about from Normandy mm. and the great, great help was that they have, they're so mad on mud buildings over there. They have like a cycle route of significant mud buildings of Normandy. Really? Yeah. We should go and do that, shouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We should go and do that together. But yeah, the the Parc de Marais de Cotentin, which I'm probably saying totally wrong, um, but uh, yeah, they which is basically a, a national park. Um, mm. They is where most of the mud buildings are. They've done all this work to try and engage people in it, and the great thing there was that they were running lots of courses in traditional building repair. So having done quite a bit of natural building, new build stuff. It was great to go and do their courses with them and I learned a huge amount. There's another great, I, I mean, you know, this could only happen in Normandy, 
or in France, you know, there, there's two other great organizations. One of them, which was in the next village, was called Association Pierre et Mass, which is literally, this is honestly, this is Stone and Stone and Cob Club, is what that <laughs> means. Um, and it's in this tiny village in the middle of nowhere and just happened to be in the next village along. So they bought this old mud building as a community and ran loads of courses to restore it including thatching, mud walling, lime plastering, all that stuff. So I did a load of their courses as well and kind of clicked into that community with my absolutely terrible pigeon French, but I managed to scrape by. And then the big, big one, um, the, uh, one of my best friends, um, he he runs still now, uh, is a, a charity called Enater, um, which helps people... Uh, means tested to make their traditional buildings um, more environmentally friendly, which what that usually means is taking cement off and re-rendering in either lime or quite oftentimes even external rendering in earth. Oh, really? Um, yeah, which happens a lot over there. It isn't uncommon at all. Well, a lot of them aren't even rendered at all. They're mm. just just naked and you know, oh, oh, <laughs> most of them are kind of from the 1600s. They're absolutely massive. I mean, like three stories high. Most of them. One's called like the Cobb Cruise Liner. It's huge. Right. <laughs> that's that's one on the bike ride. I think. I mean, there's they they build huge, and like I say, there's tens of thousands of them. I would have loved to have been around in the 1700s when they were doing them. Because I can't get my head around how that was happening on that mm. scale. Um, how on earth were they getting the mud to the, the upper floors before the times of forklifts or, you know? That's exactly what I'm wondering. And how are they even getting that volume of earth? And my feeling is every, i don't know if you remember but in normandy every road is sunk mm. quite drastically you know you've got huge banks either side they're literally cut into the landscape and i do wonder whether that's it's got to be from that i mean my whole site of my house is lower than the surrounding fields yeah and it I mean, when I mean anyone that's built with mud knows that it takes a fair few tons to build anything, let alone something really substantial. So, yeah. Anyway, Enitaire is what I really want to talk about. So, a chat, a chat, <laughs> no more questions. So, Enitaire <laughs> um, is fantastic, and they help people um, by running working parties to make their old buildings more energy efficient. And like I say, it really, I mean, I'd love to replicate it in the UK, but sadly, I feel that it's very much a kind of much more socialist society thing. Um, yeah. But it works really, really well. And everyone should have a Google of Enitaire. In fact, you should have Camille on this. Yeah. Oh, mate. Yeah. He's such a joy of a human being. I'd yeah. love to love to get him on. Yeah. Okay, good. Right. It's done. <laughs> Thanks. You can be my fixer. Thank yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah. Anyway, so I came back to the UK and I'd run out of money 
And so I started working for people. And I started, I tried working for um, a one mud builder in particular. Mm-hmm. And Very I, famous one. <laughs> well, if such a thing exists, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, that didn't work out, should we say. I mean, I'm not, you know, it doesn't take much figuring out, I suppose, who that person may have been. But what I, that person was an amazing mud builder, amazing craftsman. I've never met anyone that works so hard as that person. I never want to take the level of skill away from them or the ability Mm. to work hard. But it did feel very much um, kind of going back to being on those sites that I started off with, with my dad. And a, a lot of what I was going for was, I mean, I like working hard. You know, I really like working hard and I really like being on site. And I actually kind of like the environment of being on site as well and working with people and also working on my own and, you know. Um, But I was trying, and I still am, kind of trying to get away from that very sighty, building sighty type of vibe. Machoism, silliness. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so... I suppose the Oregon Oregon, uh, days were very much the sort of other end of the scale, very much, yeah. Checking in, it, you know, making sure everyone's feelings were okay, and yeah, uh, morning and, meetings, yeah, yeah. And Although oh, we giving, nearly went on strike to to get a tea break, so didn't we? Yeah, we did, yeah, <laughs> up the revolution, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I think that was slightly what appealed about. It. I didn't know that life could be like that. You know, mm. I didn't know that it was okay to kind of talk about your how you felt about things and how a material made you feel and that was okay. I, I mean, I must say, I doubt I could go back to that again now because it's kind of gone coming back to the UK and having to operate in a kind of commercial way to make a living mm. out of your craft. There isn't much time for kind of, unfortunately, for check-ins and all that type of thing. I still think I do it reasonably successfully while we're working and like, oh, yeah. what do you think about this and how do you feel today and what's going on at home and all that type of thing, which I really try to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so anyway, I so things didn't work out with that one particular craftsperson. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt very much like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do now? Because at the time it felt like that was – he he, they were the only mud builder in the UK, you know, that's what it, that's what it felt like. So, um, anyway, I was very, very lucky in that a friend of mine's parents were getting their house rethatched. And so, and they said they needed a laborer to help the thatcher or the thatcher needed a laborer and to contact him. So I basically worked for, really next to nothing for him for about a year in the end. I mean, I, it was great. So I went, went over to him off the back of this fairly bad experience. And, um, yeah, and it, 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 you know, he was worked really hard. The job was really hard work. Um, it was very physical, very demanding. But 
he did it all with a smile and a cup of tea and a thank you at the end of the day. And I was like, actually, this is great. I really like, I've always liked working really hard. And mm. I don't, that's not the problem. All I want at the end of the day is a bit of a thanks for working hard. Should we go for a pint? And yeah, it was, so it was really nice to go working with him and kind of, I was really worried that I'd gone to Oregon, not to offend anyone from Oregon. I was really worried that I'd kind of come back to the UK and that I couldn't cut it on site anymore. <laughs> and um, that's not the case at all. I, I, I just couldn't, what I couldn't deal with is being, you know, kind of my good nature, my hard work being taken advantage of. I'm very, very mindful of that now because now I'm in that position now of having people working for me or with me, which is an important distinction. And it's all, mm. it is always with me because it's always a collaborative thing. You know, it's never, I don't want to be the boss man. I just want to be, well, I just happen to be the guy that's getting the work at the moment. And mm. that will change over time and all that type of thing. So, yeah. So anyway, we're oh, getting disjointed again, going off on a on a tangent again. Oh, yeah, so thatching was lovely. And during that time, gosh, we're nearly 40 minutes in and I haven't even answered your first question. No, it's, so, it's good. <laughs> this is perfect. So, I might make you a two-parter. Oh, oh, gosh, wow. Okay, lovely. I mean, you've, you've got to keep up this, this level of... Uh, no problem, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just starting out. So... Um, <laughs> So during that time working for the Thatcher, which was lovely, that was in West Somerset, where you are now, by the way, the yeah, Quantock where, Hills, which was, it was all through the Quantock. So he was based, or still is based in, I don't know, maybe around Taunton. Okay, um, yeah. And so we were doing up near Minehead, Dunster. So yeah, so I stayed up there for, for a while, um, between kind of there and Taunton, Um and yeah, it was it was a great time. And during that, I applied for the SPAB fellowship, mm. uh, which the SPAB is the Society for the Protection of Ancient Buildings, and they run this program. Well, they run a variety of programs. One's called the scholarship. That's for the so-called professional class. So that's <laughs> <laughs> um, that's for surveyors, engineers, and architects. Um, mm -hmm. And the fellowship is for craftspeople. So I applied for the fellowship as a mud builder. Um, that was in 2014. And they'd never had a mud builder apply before. Uh, How long have they or, been going at that point? Um, about 25 years, I think. But they have like about four, four people a year. And never had any mud people apply. A few yeah. few lime plasters with an interest in mud. Um but no one that would that would dare to call themselves a mud builder for understandable reasons. Um, so yeah, so I uh, so I applied for that, and they're very interested in mud building. I just as a little plug, I would really recommend if anyone's is a craftsperson starting out and maybe just finished their kind of training or equivalent of apprenticeship. Um, then really consider the SPAB fellowship because it's absolutely fantastic. Um, and I on think that it's point, applications are open at the moment, aren't they? 
They are, and I think they're closing quite soon. I should have looked up the dates. So just to say about the fellowship, the great thing about that for me is that I'd had these variety of different experiences, but no formal apprenticeship, um, which going back to my original statement, when I'd spoken to that careers advisor, if they had said to me, right, you're interested in buildings, specifically old ones, go and do an apprenticeship in something. And I think I probably could have done an apprenticeship in anything, even timber Mm. framing, and I would have copped on Mm. to the fact that I didn't like it, and then I would have gone and done an apprenticeship in something else quite quickly, you know. Um, And I actually think would have put me in really good stead. With that being said, you know, after I'd done all that stuff, I felt like it was impossible to get back into something practical. And actually... It really is that kind of the you would have experienced this as well. Like once you've kind of picked your path in your early twenties, everyone's saying to you, "Oh no, you can't go and do an apprenticeship now because you're earning money and you got to keep on the thing." And blah, da, da, mm. da, 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 da. and it's very hard to then. I, I, and I'm going to accidentally allow myself to say, or not accidentally allow myself to say, go back and do an apprenticeship. Because in my mind, it's really going forwards. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, the whole way in which the mainstream education system is set up nowadays is to make you think that once you've reached the higher level, which is degrees and all that stuff, and apprenticeships is the not the higher level, that you can't go back. Well, mm. as far as I'm concerned, it's all on the same level. And most countries throughout the world would consider a craftsperson to be on the same level as a so-called professional. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's particularly in France is where I'm very aware yeah. of that. Everyone's an artisan, and if, whether you're a plumber or a fine decorative plasterer, you're an artisan and a specialist in your field, and you're highly trained and highly respected. Um, and I've never kind of got that same vibe in the UK. Have you? No, no, definitely not. Um, This is a conversation I've been having quite a lot recently. And that is that uh, the the sort of builders, the plumbers, the trades, uh, they are sort of very much seen as the, you know, the people that aren't good at school. You know, you go and do that. And uh, yeah, it's sort of the only option really for for the people that aren't good at school is, you know, go on then, go and do something with your hands. Uh, Mm as opposed to, you know, like we can have really smart academic people who can also work with their hands and they can you know, apply both and go and do really mm. wonderful things. I'm totally with you on this. I mean, just to add to what you're saying and vice versa, very practical people who are much more useful to the academic world with practical experience. Mm. You know, academics should should and could be practical as well. And... I was really on my high horse about this in my kind of mid-twenties about like, oh, I never want to be an academic and, this is, you know, what a waste of time and everyone should just be practical. Well, actually, I met one person in particular while I was doing my fellowship, in fact, a chap called Peter Messenger, who used to be the conservation officer um, for the place where I live now. And um, he really encouraged me to take the academic side seriously as well. 
And actually, it just goes to prove that practical people make as good, if not better, academics because of their depth of understanding through practical ability mm. than someone that's never got hands-on with the material, you know. And yeah. I think it's really important that both can do both. And, um, yeah, so it was really lucky to meet him during my fellowship. That was in my yeah. final block. So the first two blocks of the fellowships fellowship are arranged for you and you're sent to various um craftspeople well you know all the top craftspeople in the uk really mm-hmm. um and as well as architects as well and you talk a lot about philosophy as well as practical skills um so by which sorry that all sounds a bit high flying but what i really mean is you look at different people's approaches to how they're repairing old buildings um so, you know, one person might be going, oh, yeah, that's a load of rubbish, knock it down and start again. And another person might be going, no, I want to keep every last fleck of old paint and kind of conserve every last little detail. And you kind of get all these different perspectives and then you go like, right, well, here's where I sit on this and this is how my philosophy is now developed and I'm decided so the spab kind of has their overarching principles and you are very much encouraged to develop your own approach and philosophy within that kind of sphere which was really helpful so that was the first two blocks and then the final block is self self-directed so you choose where you want to go so you can either go to the places you've already been and spend a bit longer and get a deeper understanding with particular craftspeople, or you can kind of fill the gaps of what you feel you haven't seen. So, of course, for me, I did a mud building tour of the UK and picked a craftsperson in each area and that specialised in mud and mm-hmm. spent a week or two with each of them, which was fantastic. Um, so, and the one... Well, there's two people that really stood out. Peter Messenger, who I've already mentioned, um, and we'll come back to him maybe in a minute. Um, but the other one was a guy called um, Anthony Good, who mm-hmm. sadly is no longer with us now. He passed away a couple of years ago. Um, so like I say, I felt like I'd kind of had a bit of a run-in with the only mud builder in the UK. And... I thought it was kind of curtains for me in the terms of getting a mentor and having somebody to guide me through. Um, and then I met Anthony through the SPAB and everything totally changed. He's um, He was kind of third-generation building firm, which he'd inherited from his father, so very, very old-fashioned in a sense, really, on, on, on the way he ran his business. Um, but such a lovely, lovely man, like not not kind of building sighty all the stuff that I'd experienced before very much a kind open person but with kind of traditional values and principles you know he was there to make money the firm had always made money he was there to make money but he had a deep love for the buildings that he worked on and actually that he was the one that proved to me that it kind of could be done you know, you can really care about what you're doing and make a living. Until then, I'd kind of felt very dubious of whether that was actually achievable. Um, but he and his wife, Jean, who essentially, she ran the firm. She was the brains, well, I shouldn't say the brains behind the outfit, but the 
person that was um, running the firm, and mm. Anthony was the guy out on site that was leading the people that were that were working with them. Um, so they were great team and yeah. one couldn't do without the other it was it was fantastic um and it worked really well and thankfully he was based in leicestershire um and i never realized before this but there's loads of solid earth wall buildings in leicestershire um and he had repaired a lot of them and really kind of took me under his wing and you know, I worked with him for a while and we talked a lot about business and we talked a lot about pricing, which is a nightmare for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially uh, yeah. if you're new to it. Just Exactly, you know, yeah. You love doing a thing and then you're now being asked to do a thing. How do you value your time? How do you value yeah. you know, experience, travelling, all of the things that you don't know to think about? Yeah, isn't that mental? Like, yeah, because like, when you start off, or at least when I started off, I would have driven anywhere to go mm. and shift mud about. I did, yeah. But, yeah, well, yeah, we both did, didn't we? Yeah, and happily would have done it for nothing, which we also both did, you know. Mm. And, yeah, man, it's like you can't do that forever. And the really key bit of advice that Anthony gave me was that if you don't price this right, you're not going to be able to keep going doing this you'll burn yourself out and you won't be able to earn a living and then everyone will lose out you'll lose out because you won't be able to do what you love and you'll have to go and do something to pay the bills and do this in your spare time and the buildings will lose out because there won't be anyone there to repair them so he said you're doing everybody a favor 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 by favor. um <laughs> by by pricing this Right, you know, don't be shy about earning a living. Yeah. So, you know, don't rip people off, but you don't want to be shy about earning a living. You need to. Otherwise, everyone loses out. And that really kind of hit home to me, and I always remember that now. So, um, yeah. And he was quite right. And, you know, I do make a living out of mud repairing, mainly repairing mud buildings, but also do quite a bit well we're doing some new build this year and also quite a bit of teaching as well mm-hmm. um but uh yeah so i do make a living out of it now and yeah so it's a key bit of advice there i suppose really yeah. um yeah but i would also say that don't expect to be earning a living for the first little while because i, I really probably to earn a living you have to be taking on a heck of a lot of responsibility at it. And I'm sure you kind of know what I'm getting at here, hopefully, mm. Jeffrey. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not easy money and it is quite stressful. And if you worked it out on an hour rate, you'd be wasting your time. But if yes. you tot up at the end of the year, then, you know, and you're comfortable and you don't want too much out of life financially, um, you know, it all depends on what a living looks like is what I suppose I'm getting at. Mm. If a living looks like, um, you know, living a fairly humble existence and enjoying a bottle of cider now and again, then great. If a living looks like, I don't know, trips to vineyards in the south of France three times a year, 
you're probably not the profession for you. <laughs> Unless you get a really nice job in a vineyard. Yeah. Building a nice mud mud vineyard somewhere, that'll be all right. Um, <laughs> so, it's, yeah, um, I don't know. It, I find it a shame, or it feels like a sort of uh, a block at this point. And I don't know if this is the same so much in the heritage world, but certainly in the, the sort of natural materials, new build world. It seems like the people that can get into it are the people that will go and live in a horse box or, mm. you know, will live in their van uh, and, you know, will we'll reduce all of their outgoings so that they can earn nothing. Mm. Um, and I think that's, you know, for one, there's very few people that can do that. I think you have to be uh, quite privileged to do that. Um, I agree. So, yeah. You know, and I feel, you know, I am definitely of that, that privileged type that was able to do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd, and then, you know, like the, the chap who just emailed me saying, I've got a family, I've worked in construction my life, you know, I want to do natural materials now. How do I do it? It's like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know any other route. Well, I suppose, <laughs> I suppose the answer, I mean, I kind of think it is for people like him you know he'll be earning a good living presumably as a plaster a conventional plasterer uh, he's a, so, he was running running building sites i think right okay oh right well yeah i mean i don't know i mean let's say just for the sake of my argument which i was just going off on one there oh yeah don't let a, the facts get in the way. <laughs> yeah never let the facts get in the way of a good story um <laughs> so uh, you know say that he isn't working he's working the standard building um industry and presumably earning a living out of doing that well yeah. so he knows how to price which is the biggest one of the biggest things to being able to create sustainable business mm-hmm. um you know why not why can't he just use natural materials mm I mean, I think there's a learning, uh, there's a pretty big learning curve, isn't there? There's... Well, yes, I suppose there is. I mean, this is the bit now that I think I fall into the trap of is, you know, I spend, I've said this to you before, you know, I spent spend half my time, half my life telling people, yeah, you can do this. You can do this yourself. And then I spend the other half of my life telling People, you need me to do this for you because it's a specialist skill. It's, it's very complicated. <laughs> You'll never understand. And actually, it is. You know, all the stuff is very specialist, and you can go really far wrong. And I've the reason that we're now specialists and so-called, and other people aren't, is just because we've got it wrong more times. You know, mm-hmm. that's we have that depth of understanding of having done it quite a bit and got it wrong a number of times and know not to what to do wrong anymore, Yeah, which spent, makes spent it closer to being right. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, with old buildings and natural materials, you're going to make mistakes because it's never the same twice. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.